This is Takeaway Only, a podcast about the hospitality industry in crisis. I'm Howie Kahn, and these are the stories of the people who take care of you. Today's guest is Eric Rivera from Auto in Seattle. Eric is a force. I'm in awe of his creativity, his innovations, and his output. Hear how Eric has kept Otto thriving and how he plans to lead his restaurant into a safe, delicious, and equitable future. We're back Wednesday with an all-new guest. Please hit subscribe so you don't miss it. Stay tuned now for Eric. You just posted, uh, join us on 710 for our Russian food package a few hours ago, Christmas in July. Before that, auto delivery, three-course Iberico ham dinner, discovery series at home. Eric Rivera has more ideas for his restaurant and, and the food he's he's providing and making than I think anybody I've, I've ever seen. What's what's the process? How are you deciding what to do? Um, we have a lot of communication happening between guests, um, kind of trying to find out what they want. Um, also, our employees, too. I mean, they're all really super highly skilled in what they do and where they come from and their stories. So it's kind of like my responsibility to kind of package that up in a way that is respectful of everybody, but also makes the food good and allows someone to like actually buy it. So a lot of it is sometimes reactive. Sometimes it's proactive. Sometimes it's <laughs> trying to guess what's going to happen a month from now. Um, it, but you know, it's just always kind of like turning it on a dime. That's just kind of how I've always done stuff. Who's, who's Russian in the auto uh, restaurant Ingrid. family? Ingrid. Uh, she's a director of operations. Also my girlfriend. <laughs> Sure. Also, the, the the face on Ingrid's wine collection. Yeah, that is totally it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, it's talking with her. We've done that dinner, I think, about three, three or four times now. And so it's been something new for me that I get to learn about Russian food, and she gets to, you know, be the standardized person for having it be right and live up to what she wants and her standards. So it's cool. Interestingly enough, you wrote this story for Eater before the pandemic started about restaurants in Seattle and gentrification and the dangers that poses to creativity and new things being able to open. And you talked about how restaurants have to evolve or die. And then literally five weeks, six weeks later, you were in a situation where you were literally either going to evolve or die. I mean, you really had to put your money where your mouth was with that statement. I know you think about change a lot anyways, and I know your restaurant's never been just one thing. In your mindset, you may have been better prepared for this than, than some other people, but tell me about the hustle of keeping things open on a day-to-day basis and the level at which you've tried to operate. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, it's out of having to do it. It's not necessarily everything, you know, it's not ideal for me to be doing all this stuff. Um, we do it out of having to do it. Um, it would be nice to have one or two concepts that we can kind of focus on, but that doesn't necessarily do everything for us. Um, it's a smaller market out here. So our impact of what we can actually offer, um, I'm not trying to drive people in the restaurant to have them come in here once a year. You know, if I was like a really super high end restaurant or once in a lifetime, um, I have to drive people in multiple times in multiple ways. So our price point can stick from, you know, a $2 burrito all the way up to a couple hundred dollars per person for a thing. Um, but it's trying to capture everybody in between and like holding a standard of at least our food's good. You know, uh, if the food's good, then we can kind of figure out different ways and different styles of service where it could be high touch stuff, chef counter stuff, all these other things. 
but then when a pandemic hits, all of that goes away and kind of have to figure out, well, you know, if we have to do it a different way, how do we do it? You know, so it's removing everything in the dining room. It's becoming like a grocery store. It's becoming this takeout delivery thing. It's creating our own delivery system. It's just doing all this stuff. Um, Cause otherwise like I don't have an option to close. Um, I don't have investors. I don't have anything else. So for me, it's like, I have to, you know, it's very different. Tell me about the Oregon trail at home. Yeah. I mean, we were doing those. Um, I, I kind of hit a point where I'm, I'm always trying to figure out a different way to do dining experiences. That isn't just, you get there, you sit there, you look at the menu, you do the whole process. Right. So for me, it's, it's very much like I wanted to have a strategy based dinner game. Uh, and we were doing them in the dining room few months before all this started to happen. And then um, I kind of wanted to figure out a way to do something like that again, but also being mindful, like on the Oregon Trail, you kind of die. And we're also in the middle of a pandemic where people are dying. Um, but I wanted to do that in a way where it was less about just dying and whatever, but spinning it into a way where it could actually be more of a social game. You know, so when we get people now, it's very different. Um, there's three stages that they play. Um, you know, we send them the food ahead of time or they pick it up. You know, so we have them eat the entree and then we have like little trail snacks and a dessert type thing. Um, and the strategy behind it is we start them off with a scavenger hunt and we're giving them a list of things to find in their house. Um, and, you know, some of the stuff is harder. So if there's hard to find ingredients like bread flour, we're like, find some bread flour. Um, and if that first round people can't find anything or are missing something, then they automatically get booted off the Zoom call. Uh, and then they keep, <laughs> they, get, they keep progressing, you know. So there's a second stage. The second stage is um, a trivia section. The trivia section is stuff that's based off the video game or stuff that's based off the real Oregon Trail. Uh, people get points. Uh, the people that get points get to stay for the next round. The ones that don't, they get booted off. And then the third round is like a talent show. So we have them find musical instruments around the house. And then they have 20 seconds to like play a song. If they don't have musical instruments, they find pot and pan or they sing. Uh, and then the crowd then chooses the winner for the night. And that's basically the Oregon Trail for us right now. That's pretty spectacular. Yeah. So it's, it's a socially driven thing, but it gets people for at least like 30 minutes while that show happens it gets them in a different frame of mind um and we've had groups of people that know each other going against random people that are like that sounds dope i'll do that so it it, it builds a like a little virtual sense of community which is really nice do you give yourself a, a quota for how many ideas you come up with in a day how many new no. things you post no 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 uh, um you know at one time even when we were at the restaurant in a daily basis, we'd have like three to five different things going on um, in a day. Like on a Saturday, Sunday, it's like three to five different things. It's like two different styles of brunches, a midday thing, and then two different styles of dinner. Um, and it's just kind of always been like that. Uh, I don't have like a maximum or minimum. My thing is just on the business side for me, it's managing revenue, it's managing those types of things. So that way I know that we're hitting what we need to hit. Um, so that we can pay employees. <laughs> I mean, that's my biggest like concern always is just making sure we're driving it hard so that way they can get the hours they need, they can get the pay they need, they can, you know, we started benefits for everybody in April in the middle of all this crazy shit, you know, so it's like, it's very, it's very focused on that and the way that I focus on investing in them um, kind of just 
you know, filters all its way down and makes a good product. So it's, it's good. And on top of the meal experiences, you know, you're selling fresh fish, you're selling meats, you're selling pantry items, you have a, you know, a, a charitable component going on, you're selling cookbooks, there's bagels, there's... Yeah, I mean, we have a cookbook library. We're not selling cookbooks, yeah. we have a cookbook book library. So it's basically my books that people Oh, can... people are borrowing them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. So it's, it's, it's a bunch of books from my collection, not all of them, but some of them uh, that kind of just live here and not at my apartment that I try to cycle through. Um, but yeah, if they buy something, then they can take a book home, library style, bring it back, we sanitize it, put it back in the shelf and just, you know, leave it going. Um, but yeah, I mean, cooks like uh, seafood and meat, um, you know, the meats like we're butchering, we sous vide them. So they don't have to take, you know, all they have to do is like grill it. Uh, the seafood's all butchered and it's basically like our spec that we have for our tasting menus. And it's like, we're the prep cook for them, you know? So all they have to do is go home and like fire it, <laughs> you know? So it's, it's actually kind of cool. Like we got, we have their back, you know, and if they need random stuff like bread flour or things they can't find, like we have that stuff. So it's just always like a cool thing for me to bring new things to the table or, you know, we have a, a friend of ours that actually it lives in New York now and, he has like a vegan cheese uh, company and he was getting ready to launch and then everything got shut down. So we actually like were the first people to carry that product, um, which is really kind of cool because it provides him a different avenue for that. And everybody here in Seattle's buying and we're doing national shipping. So we actually, you know, he shipped to us, we sold it and then we shipped back to like people that live in New York or California <laughs> or whatever. So it's, it's actually, it's really interesting. It's like the possibilities are endless. What things have worked the best for you in, in your estimation? Uh, you know, the pantry meat seafood thing has been really good um, because people like to cook or are starting to discover to cook on more of a daily basis. So it's, it's a good curveball for them. Um, the mystery box type of chef's curated box things is really good. Um, dinners in general that are easy for them to reheat at home are really good. Um, and then anything else that's pretty much cooked 90% of the way. So we have these like uh, like meal plan style style stuff, um, like meals ready to cook, and and they can use or freeze those. Uh, those work out pretty well. And the other on the higher end, then it's like we do these five course tasting menus, and they're kind of like that discovery method thing where we prepare a duck five different ways and have sides and whatnot. And, and people really like to kind of you know dig into that. How many menu items do you think you've listed and sold over the last several months? Probably, I mean, there's some of them that have like 10 components, 10 different things inside of them. So, I mean, I know that we're touching a week, probably anywhere from 20 to 50. And that's been going on for three and a half months. <laughs> so it's a lot. 20 to 50 a week for three and a half yeah. months. Mm -hmm. So that's like 200 a month. So like 600 yeah. things, 600 different mm -hmm. choices. That's incredible. And that doesn't even include like uh, dietary restrictions, allergies, aversions. Um, which those can change the menu too. You know, so you can have like one set of a dinner and people that are, you know, no allium, no this, no this, no that, allergic to this. So then that creates its variables in itself too, which is, you know, normal. Is, th is this the level of, of creativity and productivity you normally operate at or have you gone into overdrive for the pandemic? Uh, it's pretty much how it's been. I mean, I started this off three years ago in my apartment for right. two people. Two, two seats. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's just been the kind of thing that, um, the staff has allowed me to kind of like 
expand on the ideas and the guests buying into it have allowed me to kind of just like kick it into more uh, elaborate ways. Um, I know when I can see something that I've liked for a while and people necessarily aren't buying it because they want to see something new. Um, and then I just post something new and people buy it and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> they just want something new. Um, it's not like they, they said it sucked. It just, it's just they're expecting new things from us. Are there, are, are you thinking about hosting people to sit in the restaurant again anytime soon? I've, yeah, I've been thinking about it um, because you're in Washington, they're starting to allow people to do that more. I, it's a kind of a catch-22. I don't want to, but I know there's guests that want to, but I'm also aware of like our staff and our system in place that we have already. So I'm not willing to just do it to do it to make somebody else happy one time. Um, I want to do it in a way that's very smart. So it's, it's a, it's a new concept of dining that I've been toying with. Um, and I think it'll, I, I know it'll work. <laughs> I, I know it'll work. It's just a matter of like pulling the trigger on it, putting it up there and getting people to want to do it. Um, but it's just, it's a completely different style of service. What's the idea? So it's, it's very much like we're on tickets, anything or we're on tickets already. And we're basically like, Think of like showing up to somebody's house for Thanksgiving and everything's already ready to go. You sit down at a table, everything's already laid out, mm. done. Um, That's cool. So it's, it's the same vibe of like showing up, you know, somebody says there's dinner at six, you show up at like 610 <laughs> and everybody's kind of already sitting there waiting. Um, you know, all your food would be out there, all the drinks would be on the table. There's really no contact beyond that point. There's nothing you have to guess. You would know everything ahead of time. Um, and then at that point, it's pretty much just like the cleaning of it once they're gone or checking in with them. It minimizes like seven to 10 touches per table per time into like one, uh, plus 30 prepaid. So you don't have to worry about that. Uh, and, and I've been toying with that. I just, there's another aspect of it is you have all of these foreign things that are coming in with people touching things, licking things, eating things. Um, and then that cesspool of bacteria goes you know to like the dish pit essentially and you're like well what the hell is a dish pit now is it like a hazmat center you know it's it's really it becomes very um i look at it very black and white on that side because i just see it that way so the last thing i want to do is like okay so what do we do with all these plates and things they have <laughs> do we just steam the fucking table <laughs> you know like how do we how do we figure that out? and that's the only reason why i haven't like said that's exactly what we're going to do the dish pit is really a totally different consideration now. That's going to be one of the most complicated jobs to try to figure out. It really is. And that's the last thing I want to do is put somebody in that position where they have to feel uncomfortable or feel like they have to do all these scrubs and deal with water droplets. And so, you know, and, and it's, it's purely that. <laughs> it, that, that is like the final frontier in my head of where we're going with this stuff. And that's why I don't want to sit here and compromise that because um, it's not worth it if someone gets sick in the restaurant or contact tracing or we know, cause everybody buys tickets, we know who they are. And if they report back to us in three or four days that they're sick, um, we have to shut everything down. You know, so it's like, well, we've been doing really good at like staying open <laughs> cause we've been open this entire time. And now we're going to open for like what, 20 guests a night. And then we're, we're done, you know, and, and that's just not okay either. How much food is going out the door right now? How, how many guests do you interact with on, on a oh, given day now? Man, it's crazy. Um, some days it can be, you know, for, I'll give you an example. Really, <laughs> Mother's Day this year was almost 300 people. Mother's Day last year was 30. 
we're a pretty small restaurant. So the ability to scale out from the four walls of the, the restaurant really helped. Um, but we're actually doing more business than we've ever done just because of that. Um, and having our own delivery platform and all that kind of stuff, it, it allows us to play a different game. I feel like, you know, there's a few places in Seattle that have really been incredibly innovative during this time. You guys in Canlis and, and some others at Eduardo Jordan and everything he's doing. Is there something about Seattle? I, I mean, Seattle is one of the first places to, to come down with COVID also. Right, right. I think a lot of it is there's a lot of innovation that's been happening and there's always that's been happening here. Um, there's a lot of ease of use with that too. So if I introduce tech, and I'm very heavily dependent on what that does for me. It's easy to translate that to a town that's really open to tech. You know, if I was in Louisiana or Texas or something like that, and I said, no, you're going to prepay for your tickets on this ticketing system, go online, go on your phone, do your transaction there, blah, 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 blah. They're going to be like, no. You know, if I was in a different smaller market or, you know, somewhere that's just not used to that, I, they're going to fight me on it. And, and that's just not what happens here. You know, a lot of our communication and a lot of our stuff that we're doing to get the word out is going on, you know, a blog, it's going through social media and multiple channels. It's going through emails. It's going through, you know, automated stuff that we're doing um, through Facebook. And we have the, you know, our delivery system is completely automated through AI. It's just, it's a whole different ball game here. And people here are cool with it because you can just relate it to, Oh, it's just like basically like we're Amazon light. It's basically like we're this light, you know, you already do that now. And if you can attach that to them, then it's easy for them to understand. And they're smart people. It's not like we're <laughs> showing them anything new. You know what I mean? Auto for the people uh, has been the, the charitable yeah. component of all this. Who have you guys been feeding? Everybody. <laughs> so um, it started off as we're, you know, we're still doing it uh, once or twice a week. It started off really heavy and then it just kind of slowed down because a lot of people just weren't needing the help. But we were doing a lot of frontline workers at hospitals, all the major trauma centers here, uh, University of Washington Medicine, um, Virology Lab at University of Washington, um, Mary's Place. Uh, we did, what's the other one off the top of my head? It was like 400 people by 500 people in the same day. Uh, it was just a housing place. Uh, it, it, anybody that reaches out to us that wants something, I'm like, yeah, fuck it, let's go. You know, it's, it's, it's very, it's, we'll figure it out. You know, I'm not worried about the details of it. Um, meaning like the production of it or where the money comes from. I'm more worried about like, what time do you need us there? <laughs> How much do you need? And I got the rest, you know? So it's just, it's been really cool because then our guests have been donating uh, money towards that. And then it allows us to be flexible with it and really kind of sh like make stuff that we make in our restaurant for that we normally make for people in need. It's like, I'm not buying garbage stuff, pro, you know, product wise and going like, Oh yeah, here's this cheap stuff. You know, it's not like a grilled cheese sandwich. It's like normal stuff that we would make here. So it allows people that, you know, maybe don't normally see something like that get to experience that, which is like super dope. You're making some money off of virtual cooking classes as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> making me off everything. Um, <laughs> but, um, but you know, that's a function of we, I, I was always doing cooking classes here and they're very different. Um, the style of them is very different. It's, it's a lot less guided towards recipes or that kind of thing. It's more like cooking theory and applying it individually to a guest and telling them like, you know, they walk in and they're taking a sauces class and I'm like, what do you want to learn about sauces? And, I'll ask the five or six of the people in the same class and then 
I'll custom tailor the class to the needs of the people in the class rather than just going like, here's our curriculum. <laughs> I know that you know this already, but I just need to cover it. You know, it's very, it's very adaptive. Um, and so I've taken that to doing it online. Um, you can actually subscribe to it nationwide. Um, and I teach a class the same way, like on a Zoom thing. Uh, or you can buy a kit and it has a lot of the stuff in there already. Um, and that's more for like local stuff, but you know, gives them a head start of what we're showing or I give them the grocery list, they go find it. Um, but we have like sauces, vegetable cookery, uh, meat cookery, and we've done like Puerto Rican food, you know, classes and all this kind of stuff too. So it's, it's pretty fun. Big week for Puerto Rican food. Yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> Yeah. You, you guys you guys do Puerto Rican food for pickup uh, delivery by ticket only every Thursday through Sunday, right? Every Thursday through Sunday. And then uh, every once in a while, like whole pig dinner and all this kind of stuff for like individual dishes. Um, You're sending out whole pig dinners? Um, yeah, I don't send it out. Uh, we cook the whole thing. Uh, we chop it yeah. down and sell it by the pound. So it's going to okay. be like if you're going to go to Lechonera in Puerto Rico, it would be the same vibe, you know. Um, yeah, the whole pig ready you tell them how much weight of it you want what what are your sides and then they just order that and they come to the front door we have a little no contact spot they take their pig they go wherever they need to and they eat it you know they just facilitate that that's cool <laughs> are, are, are some of the micro concepts you've started within your bigger concept do you feel like you would want to launch them on their own or is the whole point for it to be part of one big you know whole under yeah. the auto umbrella i've i've always wanted to um I, there's certain ones in there that I know could be a standalone concept, but I think what has shown with this pandemic kind of happening is that is purely based off of ego. I've seen a lot of chefs do it. I've seen a lot of them expand over the last two or three years and they have, they go from one restaurant to like 10 restaurants to 20 restaurants. And then something like this happens and then they have one restaurant all of a sudden overnight. So I'd rather, I'd rather just kind of keep, you know, this little weird brainstorm of food happening in one space and having people get excited about it or, you know, they frankly tell me it sucks. I'm okay with that. <laughs> and I'm like, shit, let's not do that again. Um, you know, and, and that's just kind of the part of it. It's, it's less about trying to feel like I know what's going on and more just being adaptive to what people want and they want to pay for. Um, because honestly, like I've said it before, like, the Puerto Rican food, I'm in a really tiny market. I'm for that. I, I'm the only person in this entire city serving Puerto Rican food. That's it. So, it, <laughs> you know, and, and like there isn't anybody asking for or clamoring for or investing in more. I, I'm just, I'm that, you know, but if I was to solely be a Puerto Rican food restaurant, this place wouldn't be anything. You know, I would have had to pull the plug a long time ago. So it's a function of having to do all these other things in order to keep, you know, the, the restaurant and business moving forward. Are there any ideas that you thought were too uh, outside the box to pull the trigger on? There's a lot. I mean, that's, yeah, I, I basically what I do is I, I sit here and I'll write it down on these like yellow pieces of paper. And then some of them are like instant, like, yeah, I'm doing that right now. Some of them I'll like tear off a piece of paper and then I'll write it a few more times and I'll stare at it and I'll be like, I wonder if that would sell. And I'm like, eh, I kind of get to like the third day of looking at it. I'm like, that's stupid. And I just throw it away. Um, but it doesn't mean that the idea goes away. It's just, I haven't, I haven't sussed it out and I haven't finessed it enough in my head. Um, or I've applied too much of a filter on it where it doesn't sound fun. Um, or is something that's way too expensive for the time. Um, and that's another thing too. It's like, 
you can look at unemployment numbers, you can look at people out of work, and then if you're jamming through the, you know, these few hundred dollar per person menu, that's kind of, you're kind of a douchebag at that point. Um, and you're not really aware of what the reality is of what's going out there. So, you know, I'd rather be more in the lower price thing, uh, you know, under promise, over deliver vibe, and then making sure that people, you know, can buy a couple times a week. You know, I'm cool with that. I'm cool with seeing them come in with their masks and, you know, mumbling through a mask and waving. And as long as they're getting something, that's cool. I would imagine you have a, a, a strong market share of repeat customers. We do. I mean, we have people that even before this had come back a hundred times in a year. Um, and that was for our dining room stuff. So we've kind of, the way I positioned that and the thought of that was we're not going to be a, a, a single concept restaurant. We're going to be an everything restaurant um, because I want people to come back four, five, six, seven times in a month or ask us or we can private dining or we start becoming part of, you know, people that do their weddings and birthdays and offsites. And, you know, we take people to different parts of the world and we do these, you know, guided tour things. And, you know, before you know it, we have these guests that spend X amount of dollars and, and they become attached and we become attached and, you know, we know who they are. We know who their dogs are. That's buttercup right behind my shoulder. You know, it, it, it allows us to become more than just this like singular thing. We become more of a, a brand for them and they trust us and they see how we work normally. So I think that benefited us a lot going into this pandemic because we didn't have to explain ourselves um, to them and they were the ones that were mostly buying. So it's, it's allowed me to be more creative and make sure that they're stoked and then, you know, we can find new guests too. Do you pop up, you know, in the middle of, of sleep with new ideas? Oh, yeah, all the, time. all the time. Do you keep a notepad next to your bed? No, I just remember it. I, I, I think about it and I, I'll like rehearse it in my head and what the verbiage is, what the visual needs to be, um, how to put it out there, how to market it, what's the wording. <laughs> what's supposed to be in the menu, how it should be, how easy it should be to, you know, put together. Um, and then on the guest point of view, operating like I'm them. So if I have these five or six or seven boxes in front of me, what's the order? How's the order? What should they be eating? How much should they be eating? Um, and what's the value added approach of it? So if they're going to buy from us, you know, this is kind of like a dog eat dog type thing. I can monopolize their meal for the next two days. So they're not going to want to buy from somebody else because I gave them enough food to like last for two or three days. Um, so that becomes a thing where I'm like, okay, cool. Now I'm kind of, I'm on their thought for the next day or two um, of them eating meals from us, which is kind of dope. Um, rather than just being something that's small enough that they're getting, we're kind of like shooting for a little bit more of a portion. So it puts them in a position that I know somebody's going to eat, uh, you know, anywhere from three quarters of a pound of something to a pound and a quarter of something in one sitting. If I give them two and a half pounds of something, that's going to be a meal and a half to like a meal and a quarter. One of your setups is called you can't eat Mount Rainier, mm -hmm. uh, past, present and future. Yeah. You can't eat Mount Rainier at home. Yeah. Tell me what's, what's in that setup. Um, so basically it allows them to time travel from uh, 1950s Seattle all the way to current day and with a little bit of touch into what the future will look like here in Seattle, the dining scene. Um, so we basically, it's from a book, it's called, uh, from a book called You Can't Eat Mount Rainier and the sequel to it, You Still Can't Eat Mount Rainier, that was written in the 50s. Um, so there's a lot of restaurants that were around there that are still alive and well, uh, like Canlis is in there, El Gaucho is in there, there's a whole book uh, Ivers and you know, 
Anthony's is in there is, is another one too. So it allows me to kind of show them a different point of view of what the Seattle food scene used to look like, what it is right now, and where I think it'll be. Um, and I can give them what the 1950s canless salad is on their menu. They can do it at home and, and kind of experience that. Um, they can go to a table-side style El Gaucho service, <laughs> but they're doing it at home. Uh, I can give them something from modern day, you know, um, Seattle, whether that can be pho or like, you know, teriyaki. And then I can give them something where I think is kind of what the future of the cuisine is. So that kind of allows me to show them stuff that we're working on. Um, and even, you know, stuff that's even, you know, what, it, what would 50 years from now look like? You know, so it allows this big, like, Seattle time travel through food thing happen, which is, I, I think it's pretty fun. Like, that's one of my favorite menus to do. I think it's really fun. And I think time travel in a pandemic when people can't go anywhere is, is a fun thing to think about. Yeah. Yeah. And we did, um, you know, we, we did this like virtual um, in-home experiences where, you know, we took somebody uh, camping at home. So it was the live uh, video that I created. And so they would walk through the forest for like an hour. Um, they would get to their campsite. There'd be a fire. And then the fire would go out and then over an eight hour period, it was like night sounds and the TV would be black. We sent them with a, you know, a tent. Uh, so they put up the tent and we had three stages of food. So it would follow that thing. Um, we did a first class flight at home. So it started off with like the Virgin <laughs> Airlines, uh, Virgin Airlines safety video, which is like the most epic safety video ever. Uh, and then it was actually them taking off from a video I found of someone taking off from Seattle and, you know, looking out the window and they're doing that. But we spent all these like really luxurious ingredients, like they were fine first class. There's like caviar and champagne and all this stuff. And, you know, finally they end up landing in Amsterdam, you know, it's legal here. So then they do that on their side. But it's, it's, it's very, it's, it's little things like that that can be fun for them. And, you know, we had people sending us pictures and they're all set up and they're like dressed up and, you know, fully reclined on a seat and, or they have this whole thing where they like got trees inside of their house and they're showing us with their camping gear. And, uh, and like, it's, it, it's, it's kind of cool to see that and like put it into the frame of mind of having them be part of that experience. It's also moving to think that, you know, you're giving these people these, you know, moments of joy during a time that's really difficult. Yeah. And, you know, there's another couple of times where it was it, the reality of like what the pandemic was is like we had people ordering things and, a day or two later, they reached out and they're like, hey, I need to refund. And I'm like, oh, is there something wrong? And they're like, no, I got laid off and I re really used the money. And I'm like, no, that's, we're not going to, well, we're, we're going to refund you, but we're also going to like give you that, what you ordered. And they're like, why? And I'm like, well, at one point you, you know, believed in us. <laughs> so we believe in you and, you know, we'll meet you in the middle. It's, it's fine. You know, whenever you have a chance to buy from us again, buy from us again. But, you know, for this time we got you, you know, and that's just, it's, it operates differently than that. And, you know, you're kind of just like, yeah, this sucks. You know, it's not ideal. Nobody wants to be doing this right now. And, you know, there's all these things that pop up and you just deal with them and kind of make sure you're part of that conversation with them. What do you think summer is going to look like for you guys? I don't know. I don't know, man. I like, I, I, <laughs> I don't know. I know that, you know, there's again, restaurants here are kind of opening up again, but there's people talking about like second wave and all these things are starting to get nice out and, cool but you know i'm kind of i wouldn't say taking things day by day I've, I've i'm trying to plan some things out to be a little bit longer right now but i'm also being smart about not trying to capture that excitement too far ahead 
because I don't know, maybe something can change next week, you know? Um, so it's, it's trying to be realistic in expectations. Um, do you feel that uh, the restaurant has a responsibility to address racial injustice in some way? Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm Puerto Rican. So for me, it's very, I'm, and I grew up in a very white <laughs> state, <laughs> you know, and, every, and especially I grew up in Olympia, which is like super white. Um, so I've always been aware of that. And my parents, I'm the first person in my family was born here. Uh, stateside so it's it's something that's I've been very aware of that I mean the I've, I've kind of lived in the shadows of it because I, I, I'm very light colored <laughs> you know it's skin color and so it's it's allowed me to see people be very racist and be terrible you know so for us it's like over the last week or two it's been something where I'm looking at it going like what can we do how can we do it but not take advantage of the situation um, you know, there's a lot of restaurants that I've seen that, oh, they're going to donate a portion or proceeds and they're driving their business. And I was like, we're not going to fucking do that. Um, you know, we've closed early to allow our employees to go, you know, protest if they want, uh, if they f- are having a hard time even working, we're like, yeah, we got you. We'll pay for you. You know, it's, it's not taken away from anybody or taking away from anything. Um, and you know, and especially on that with like our auto for the people program, it's allowed us to like feed people and do a bunch of different programs and it's allowed with revenue coming in to allow me to donate money to organizations. And so it's something that like, I'm very, I'm very aware of it because I know that this business and where we're at is very, <laughs> is, is the minority already. Um, but there's other restaurants that are affected out there that need to get that highlight. They need to get that attention. They weren't getting that attention, you know, seven, 10 days ago. And also everybody's like eyes on it. And that's great that everybody's paying attention now, but it's going to really, they're really going to need to fucking pay attention four to six months from now. You know, they're really going to like need to be beyond of, Oh yeah, cool. It sounds awesome because not even a couple of years ago, everybody had like black lives matters, you know, yard signs and stickers and stuff, but that went away really quickly and everybody just went back to it. And that's not okay. You know, it's, it, it needs to be something that's not just at the front of everybody's, face right now they need to they need to fucking keep it going and 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 it's just a reprogramming of a lot of people's expectations and thoughts and wants and you have to look out and go like are we doing enough are we going to be doing enough you know how can we do more but in the same breath like not being tacky about it and not just doing something that's like you know oh this week we're going to run a special and i'm like fuck that you know that's (laughs) that's not that's not enough and that's that's kind of where I'm at with it because it's like my entire life is based off you know in Puerto Rican culture it's not it isn't just solely like there's some people that are would say oh yeah we're from Spain or some shit and it's not like with both my sides of my family are like you know there's African American culture built into it there's native uh, you know Taino Indian stuff that's built into it so it's it's there's so many different cultures put into us already so like looking at it and going like we have to do something now like i don't have that white guilt shit <laughs> in me because <laughs> i'm not white and so i don't have to like have this like i need to put on the spotlight and go around and tear everybody else down i'm more on the side of i'm gonna shut the fuck up right now there are people that should be talking and it shouldn't be me um so i'm i'm doing this in the background if somebody needs something from me i'm fucking absolutely like kicking the door down but you know, it's more on my side, what I'm doing is I, you know, I don't necessarily have all the time to go and protest and, and spend my time out there because I have to run this restaurant. 
but it's putting you know money where my mouth is and finding people that I can donate money to and, and putting stuff out there and you know getting on social media and, and blasting stuff out whether it's on Twitter and looking for different voices and calling people out on their shit. Um, also, if, if somebody's just saying something stupid, and I'll call them out. I don't give a fuck. You know, um, I don't owe anybody anything. You know, <laughs> and I don't have investors, so that's the best part too. You know, I don't have somebody that's going like Eric. That, I also invest in that restaurant. And I, I'm like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> you're racist too you know so it's 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 a very different um it's a very different point of view but it allows me to be more aware of what's going on and if i need to pivot the company to take care of a situation that helps out you know black lives and, and really matter in a real way I'll, I'll do it i'll do it but the last thing i want to i don't want to do is just be fake about it and put it in a way where it's like us capitalizing off of the expense of other people just to be like trendy. We don't know. <laughs> I'll do that with taking money off a of father's day or a mother's day or Christmas. Fuck. Yeah. That's easy. But when it comes to something like this, it's not, it's not okay. Eric, our show's called takeaway only. What's your big takeaway from running auto, keeping it afloat, keeping it interesting, keeping it fresh uh, through this moment. I mean, it's, it's just kind of, it's, kind of how I built it <laughs> and if it's delivery or takeaway or whatever I mean we'll do it it's it's just having to like if we really want to if I like for me um like I, I don't I haven't paid myself in three years you know we've almost been open for three years and it, it's not about me being this guy or this ego driven thing or this chef or whoever else it's literally about how far can this thing go and and through anything you know, so if it's if, if that's what's what it is, and we and I want to keep it going, um, then I have employees that want to keep things going for themselves, and that's cool too. And if they're happy, then that's it. I like it, man. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you. Awesome. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. That was Eric Rivera. You can follow him on Instagram at Eric Rivera Cooks, and you can order food for nationwide delivery at ericriveracooks.com. Thank you so much for listening. Takeaway Only is produced by Casey Kahn, Rob Corso, and me, Howie Kahn, for Freetime Media. Our logo is by Reynald Philippe at Beeples. Music by John Palmer. Special thanks to Kristen Millar, Antoine Ricardou, Raphael Weil, and to the whole team at Welcome. Check out their important community building work at welcomeconference.org. We're back Wednesday. This is Takeaway Only. Takeaway Only.